This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be, nah, dude, come over here, this where it's at. Yo, 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 place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Nah, place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Buenos dias. Man, man, man. We call it the, uh, the place to be. Place to be. Then I shall be. It is contagious. It is the place to be. And we are live each and every Monday. To do, to, to do worse than Josh Richard. Place to Be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscolo. And this is the Place to Be Podcast. Nation. Welcome back to another great episode of the one and only Place to Be Podcast. I am your co-host, Justin Rosario, coming to you here on this Monday evening. And joining me, as always, for the first time in 2023 is my PIC, Mr. Scott Criscoe. Scott, how are you? Happy New Year, JR. Happy New Year, PTB Wrestling Network. Welcome to episode 619 of the longest-running episodic by the fucking gold standard. Sir, we are... Uh, well, if you're listening to this the night uh, we drop, uh, the second, we're about six weeks away from our 13th anniversary. Crazy. Right? right? Uh, yeah. Well, yep. And actually, pretty much almost to the day, it's, uh, I think it's pretty fitting. We're going to be doing WrestleMania 25. We'll be our, I guess we'll call yes. that our anniversary episode. Um, right. Yep. And we'll have a very, uh, a very good guest that we're excited about. Uh, one yes, of our always. Originals. So uh, I, I think it'll be a lot of fun, actually. I think that, that worked out well timing-wise. So I agree. I agree 100%. Uh, Christmas is in the rearview mirror. I hope you had a nice one, uh, JR. Look like you did with the family and uh, everyone, even with your hodgepodge kitchen. Uh, almost done, though? Uh, yeah, it's about, about 98% done, so. Good. I look forward to seeing it when it's, uh, I saw it in, I saw it in two stages, uh, I, when we went for, uh, the Silverback's birthday, it was very bare bones, and then when I saw you for our usual, uh, dat weekend of, uh, fun and games, uh, it had reached the next level. I think you had cabinets by then. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and now you're No, it's shit, done. So. Yeah, we're fully, we're living up there. It's just a couple little, Good. uh, things that gotta get ticked off, but. We're almost good. almost done, which is good because I'm done living in a dust hole, everything <laughs> crammed in the basement. So it's definitely a challenge. Uh, what it's not a challenge though is that we're wrapping up 2008. Yes, we are. Tonight's our final pay per view already, our second full calendar year in the books. Uh, of course, normally we would have a third guest, but in deja vu, I feel like we've we've done this before. Uh, yes. Last minute, unfortunately, our guest had to bow out, and uh, that man is Mr. Steve Bennett. Uh, he did send a statement to read in his absence and a quote, this blizzard is bullshit, unquote. And of course, if anyone's been following the news, Buffalo and the surrounding areas is completely buried in snow. 
yeah. Steve told me his brother got 50 inches. Oh, uh, Jesus. Wow. Yeah, and it's just like there's so much lake effect and drifting and yep. everything else. It's just yeah. insane. So he's been trapped. Um, he's without power. You know, that their Christmas was basically torched. So it's yeah. it's been a rough go up there. Uh, no. I'm glad he's safe. Uh, you know, I think there's actually been some fatalities, sadly. Yeah, there has um, So it's a rough scene up there. Uh, we're glad glad Steve's okay, but definitely tough time. So yeah, he unfortunately was not able to join us, so we figured, uh, like we did last time when this happened, we just we'd roll the two of us. Yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's been tough. It's been a tough month for a lot of people. Um, uh, tough month for me. Uh, I won't get into it on the show. For those that know me, you know what happened. I'm not going to get into it now. But uh, it's uh, yeah, I, I feel New Year cleansed. 2022 had a good amount of ups, down or two, but um, I feel like 2023 JR will finally be will be the first year of normalcy again. Like 2020 was, we like to pretend that didn't exist. 2021 was still kind of 50-50, but it did totally suck. And 2022, we f- I feel like by the spring we were kind of back to normal, but there were still some weird things in our you know in our everyday lives that were not normal. But I feel like 2023. We are uh, we're going to be back, uh, you know, full bore for everything, I think, complete. And I'm, I'm very happy about that because well, we uh, set the tone light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> we set the tone by, uh, yeah. as we usually do, heading back to 1994, uh, very late <laughs> 1994, uh, the end of 1994 yes. uh, for yeah. our vintage wrestling uh, look back here, like we always do before we head back to the future. Uh, so, Scott, what was going on on this date uh, in 1994? Well, speaking of dark tunnels, we were at the beginning of it, <laughs> not the end of it <laughs> at this point. So mm-hmm. on this date, uh, JR, December 14th, uh, 1994, the WWF uh, had a TV taping. Uh, we had a Superstars taping right. at, the Bob- right. at the Bob Carpenter Center in <laughs> Newark, Delaware. Not England, Delaware. Pretty fitting. Pretty Newark, fitting. Delaware. Right? Incredibly fitting. Not England, Delaware. I don't think they have an arena. Well, they may have an arena, if you know what I mean. But uh, uh, so it was a Superstars taping. It was episodes throughout the month of um, January, including uh, an episode the day of what would end up being the Royal Rumble, uh, which, of course, will be in Tampa later in the month. However, JR, there was an epic debut it made Matt Rotella very happy, so that'll tell you who the fuck the debut is. Hmm. An epic debut occurred on this uh, TV debut on this uh, taping. Wow. I would have guessed Hakushi, but I don't think Rotella would be super excited about that. No. Um, it's definitely not Dink. We're past that. We're past that. <sighs> We're past Drossy. Yeah. Is it Mantar? Sir, it is Mantar. <laughs> very good. <laughs> Mike Halleck himself. One of uh, the Silverbacks' favorites. He uh, wrestled on the 1795 episode of Superstars, defeating uh, Walt Snow. Walt <laughs> Snow? Is that Al's dad? <laughs> Pretty much. Um, so also going on during these this taping, uh, JR, uh, was the tournament for the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions. You know, of course, what happened. Yes. The Dudes with Attitudes imploded. Sean and Diesel dumped the belts in the trash or whatever they did and we had a tournament so there are some uh, quarterfinal and semifinal matches uh look at this uh look at this speaking of duke Drossi, ready for this 
on the 11495 episode, he defeated Chris Canyon. Hmm. Who better? Who better? Who better? In with C's though, he didn't reach the K's yet. So it's been right before he went to WCW with the Men of Work. I think he's in in there in '95, I believe, with Mark Starr. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, I I agree. I think so. Um, let's see. Uh, were there any? Uh, so originally scheduled for the taping was The Undertaker versus Bob Backlund, uh, Lex Luger versus the One Two Three Kid versus Lex Luger and the One Two Three Kid versus IRS and Tatanka and Bret Hart and da- Davey Boy. Uh, Smith versus Shawn Michaels and Diesel. Of course, none of that happened. Um, so obviously there were, you know, stand-up segments and talking about, uh, uh, let's see, what, uh, da, 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 here we go. On the 121, so this was the day of the Rumble, uh, Bret Hart was a guest of the Heartbreak Hotel, which he was verbally harassed by Shawn Michaels for eventually grabbing the mic from Michaels and cutting a promo on facing Diesel <clears throat> at the Royal Rumble for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. The segment was taped on the 10th in Corpus Christi, Texas, and they kind of inserted it into um, into uh, the show. So, of course, I'm sure you'll talk about it with the herb, but there we go. So on this date, December 14th, 1994, the WWF had a TV, a superstars taping at the Bob Carpenter Center in um, Newark, Delaware. Uh, there was no uh, WCW on this day. They did not have any. They were they were in the middle of their uh, Europe tour because there were house shows on either side of this date in Germany. So uh, WCW was uh, in Europe at the end of 94. So uh, that's it for uh, house show and uh, throwback shows. Uh, let's fire up a JR a little herb and uh, see what he's got going on uh, for Canadian Christmas 1994. All right, Herb Coons tidbits, December 2nd, 1994. He's uh, been a busy boy with midterms, so he's uh, just trying to dump in what he can here. As been much talked about in the news group, Diesel has won the World Wrestling Federation Championship from Bob Backlund in a four-second match in Madison Square Garden over the weekend. The match, which aired with entrance and celebrating clips on Action Zone, consisted of a kick to the gut and a powerbomb. Commentary on the show made it seem as though Vince McMahon intended to make a run of things with Diesel. This may have been a decision... Outside of the original plan, which by all accounts was for Backlund to be champion for at least a short stint into the new year. Another new arrival of WWF is Henry Godwin doing a hillbilly gimmick. They aired a vignette featuring him on the weekend. Didn't look very particularly familiar. Talk is that the Heavenly Bodies will leave the WWF reasonably early in the new year. And the Ultimate Warrior is in conversations. Oh the WWF tag team titles have been vacated by Shawn Michaels and Diesel, as expected after Survivor Series. It is expected that President Jack Tunney will announce a tournament to crown new champions. No idea if the tourney will take place on TV or at the Royal Rumble. This weekend, during every tag team squash, the regular teams will push us potential champions. We've got to choose from the Bushwhackers, Well Done, Men on a Mission, Smoking Guns, Heavenly Bodies, and some makeshift teams. With the bodies supposedly leaving, the prospects are poor. After watching this weekend's TV from both of the big two, it seems to me that things have never really been this dreary as a whole in the two nationals. WCW has no flair, has Hogan versus Butcher, it's insipid and dominates the show too much. There are a, some new things that are good, like Alex Wright, the Fantastics, etc., but the main event sludge takes too much focus. 30F also has too many bums at the top. The tag situation is dreadful, and they plan to have a tournament. If I hear any Dave announcer tell me one more time how fast and agile King Kong Bundy is or a big man, I'm going to vomit. <laughs> <laughs> Starcade on December 27th, Hulk Hogan versus Butcher, Sting versus Avalanche, Duggan versus Vader for the U.S. title, Sullivan versus Mr. T, Nasty Boys versus the Harlem Heat, Johnny B. Bad versus the Honky Tonk Man for the TV title, and Alex Wright versus Jean-Paul Levesque. Clash of Champions on January 25th, Hogan and Savage to work a tag match, 
AAA with a pay-per-view in April, WCW will rumored to be involved again. Uh, any quick thoughts there? <laughs> quick and agile King Kong. Wow, the tag division was fucking crap, huh? Oof. Yeah, it's, it's a rough <laughs> time. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, too, that he... I think you look back historically at this time period, and, like, as 95 goes on, you know, the feeling was back in the day, and, and later, right, This it is like a down point. Right. But it's funny to see it, like, already being called out here at the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know the fall of 94 is kind of where it starts, but we're not that far in. It's only December 94, and he's already... Like talking about how bleak things are, and I mean he's not wrong for once. Like Herb is right, right. No, I, yeah. And and the funny part about you know we'll get more into this as you continue. I won't go too crazy here because I want to hear how he progresses for the month. But WCW's roster, I mean, yeah, it had more star power. Bischoff had that in his back pocket, but there's only so much of the WWF guys that you can throw at the fans before they start realizing these matches are not good. So that's the problem WCW had. Yeah. You had all this great main event talent now, or I shouldn't say great. How do I word it? Um, bankable. That's mm. a better word. bankable main event talent. Not exactly the best in ring. I think those days have long gone. Uh, WWF has Sean and they have Brett and I mean, diesel will end up looking good depending on who he's in the ring with. Most of this time of the year into the spring, he's fine. It's when we get to, you know, May that, you know, we have a problem. Uh, (laughs) um, So, I mean, the rosters definitely are are thin. It's crazy, too. That just means that wrestling in general was was in a a dearth because uh, you've got WWF with a thin roster of new guys that and crappy gimmicks. You've got a WCW roster with some good mid card but dated, old, yet obviously still bankable main event, which means, and you know this very well, of course, as you're doing it over on uh, on the uh, three-way, ECW becomes the really the real wild card in 1995. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, as as Herb talks throughout 1995. <laughs> I can already tell you his feelings about ECW. Um, yeah. Yes. Uh, because that's where, well, he could say what he wants, but that's what people were watching Oh, yeah. And it's great. I mean, 95 ECW is fantastic. I love it. I love it. I used to, you know, shit faced at three o'clock in the morning on MSG was the best stuff to watch when you were getting off the, you know, off the beer buzz. But, uh, you know, it it's anyway, we'll continue on with the notes, but it just but w, wrestling in general just had this weird hole. It wasn't just WWF. It wasn't just WCW, just wrestling in general in the mid 90s just had the ever nothing had really spiked yet. Everything was just very, a very low plateau. Expectations were not high at this moment for either company, even with, with WCW and Hogan, the, the expectations were very low as you go mm-hmm. into 1995. But, but uh, that, that was my, that's my take. All right. Let's head over a week to December 9th. Lectures are over for Herb. He's only got to read 25 out of 320 news group articles though. So we'll see what he gets. Mm. Uh, more details have filtered out of Bret Hart's involvement in the Western Hockey League. Along with Carolee Flame Thierry Fleury and Quebec Nordique Joe Sackick, Hart owns an expansion franchise named the Calgary Hitmen. The team's jersey will be in pink and black, Hart's trademark colors, and they'll play out of the Calgary Saddle Dome. So pretty cool that I didn't realize how early on the Calgary Hitmen was. I know, me too. I thought it was more like 98 or 99 when he started wearing the jersey. It's crazy. Right. 
Are smart friends, smart fans turned off with the big two or what? In the most recent Observer, the final poll results for the past WCW Clash champions sort of get 83% thumbs down with only one good match in Vader versus Rhodes. Still, they can climb a broader success of sorts with ratings that will be put to the test at Starcade. Survivor Series got a 48.5 thumbs down. Interesting, since while a lot of people weren't happy, there were some happy folks at 39%. For whatever it's worth, Melser doled out a sad group of ratings. This is awful. Bob, Brett Hart versus Bob Backlund. He goes two stars, which is awful. Uh, mm. Undertaker versus Yokozuna, two and a half. The Bad Guys versus the Teamsters, one and a half. Clowns versus the Royal Family, negative two and a half. Uh, and Guts and Glory versus the Million uh, Dollar Team, two and a half. I don't disagree with too many of them there. I, I think the Teamsters, um, the Teamsters deal is low. I think that match is better than that. Backlund right. Brett is criminally low. I, mean, I think when Marcus and I did it for war, I was like four and a quarter or something like that. Oh, it's a, it's not it's not two stars. He's probably just pissed at the ending. That's well, and it was maybe maybe he thought it was boring. I'm not sure. Well, it wasn't boring. I mean, you had all the drama with Brett with Owen on the outside with the towel and yelling at mom and and Lawler's uh, amazing. Well, was he doing commentary? No, he wasn't there. It was uh it was Vince. Uh, you know, it just what was around it made the match better. I mean, it may not have been the greatest, but um. Nah, two stars is it's he's being a little he's being a little bit of a baby. <laughs> Not a shock. Melzer also played a cautious about Diesel's champion, saying that WF had better dish him out in small doses to avoid as many weaknesses, and that a great deal of his charisma was the ability to stand there and do nothing and take the rub off of Shawn Michaels. Ouch! You thought I was critical of Diesel. Oof. At the, I mean, I think he had more charisma than that at this point. But very much so. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Jinsei Shinzaki debuted at WF this coming week as Sakushi. Akio Sato was his manager. Pig farmer Henry Godwin seems to be a hillbilly with a heel twist. It is played by Mark Canterbury, who is Shanghai Pierce, one of the Texicans in WCW. Yokozuna Bret Hart is supposedly only gone for a little bit, will return in the new year, although talk persists that both may end up in WCW. Eric Bischoff went so far to mention <laughs> pink and black in his terrible commentary this past weekend. Brian Armstrong debuted as a bodyguard for TV that airs this week. There's also a lot of talk that Dan Crawford and Doug Furness will debut here in the near future. This will be tremendous while the bodies are around or if the following rumor come true that Chris Candido and Luis Spicoli may team in the promotion managed by Tammy Fitch. Spicoli is certainly coming in and Fitch seems ready to take on a TV role. Anyhow, Candido would have to give up his all Japan work for this. So uh, again, pretty cool here. I mean, he's, he's ahead of the game. I think Skip and Sonny debut in May, I believe. I don't know about Rad Radford. Um, it sucks that they pivoted uh, because this could have been much better if they just do Candido and Spicoli as a team. With, with, uh, I agree. No, I, I agree. How many times, Herb, do, are you going to say that fucking Brett's going to go to WCW? It's probably like the <laughs> it, it's probably like the like the twenty seventh time that Jr. has done the fucking Herb notes and Brett and Brett's just I don't know. Oh, I'm sorry, Herb. This isn't like McDonald's where you quit and go work at Burger King. That's not how this works. He was still had a contract, so I don't know what the hell you keep saying. Ah, he's he's ready. He's ready for the jump. jump. Ready for the jump. Yeah. Ready for the jumps is what? 19 fucking 90. It's like, come it's on. crazy too, that they're already talking about Furnace and Crawford coming in. I mean, they don't come in for another two years, two years. Yeah. Well, they talk a lot. I mean, they were in EC. Were they in ECW at this point? No, they don't show up there until no? right before they go to WF, like mid 96 is when mid 96. Right. All right. What are they? Japan? Probably. Yeah, all probably Japan. Japan. Yeah, all Japan. Japan. Probably. Yeah. With the four pillars. I think he wrestled them a few times. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's not wrong on a lot of the, I mean, those, those, those survivor series. I mean, Herb, <laughs> stop being so fucking bitter. Will you God grow up <laughs> seriously? Two stars. Come on. Really? Yes. The both just were shit. I get that. But I mean, really two stars for Brett and Backlund. Come on. 
Well, Kerr Henning and Rick Rude appeared on camera at the WCW tapings that air in the next couple of weeks, which I, that must be a fake report. I mean, Henning's definitely not there. Randy Savage appeared on camera this past weekend, gave a constipated interview, hinting that he would be a face supporting Hogan or a heel attacking him. And we'll find <laughs> out at Starcade. Rumors that he'll be a face for a bit and turn heel in the new year with Elizabeth coming in and storyline even get the title from Hogan for a stint. Yeah, it might be old news and likely will stink even if Savage returns to form, but my luck, it will be a draw. Mm-hmm. Bam Bam Bigelow and King Kong Bundy are favored to win the tag team titles. The Bigelow turning face to set up a feud between the two teams. Uh, obviously it doesn't happen. Nope. Starcade, same card as last time. Same with the Clash. Uh, so let's go ahead and do our last batch for tonight, December 15th. Yep. Uh, again, talks about proctoring and final exams. Steve Austin is out of commission for at least eight more months. Another great worker falls out of the mix. Arn Anderson may be sidelined for a while, too. On the bright side, Blacktop Bully will start in the new year. And there's always the Cruiserweight Tournament, right? Starcade uh, looks the same to me. Harlem Heat won the tag team titles as a recent WCW taping, so it's possible the tag match will become a title, to ma- title match. It will depend on when they plan to air the change. This is certainly the worst WCW lineup in a long time, and I wouldn't order it even if I were home that day. It's like my parents will want to see the show. That's hardcore. They watch New Japan, All Japan, All Japan Women, Smoky Mountain, WCW, WF, and whatever indie stuff I pass by regularly. The only thing they've ever I, I rejected outright is ECW. Based more on the TV show, which have annoying things that than worthwhile things for them. They acknowledge that the card stinks, but they still said they'd be interested to watch it, perhaps quickly. So they go, Herb's parents, diehard. Diehards uh, from Hog Mountain, perhaps. Avalanche <laughs> may have to work ah. the show injured. Will anybody even notice? There's a joke in there somehow, but the big guy has a torn groin. Randy Savage will appear on the show as a babyface. He has teased that he could be Hogan's ally or enemy and the desperate hope that something could be interesting. There's a lot of talk that Hogan will drop the WCW title to Butcher at this show as a big surprise, doing an injury angle to lead to Savage making it safe to start the clash. Imagine that. I mean, WCW is not even that fucked up to put the belt on Beefcake in 1994. Herb, and this isn't even a joke. What are you smoking? Oh, my Mm. God. No one's that stupid. At least I hope not. WCW will run another all-nighter on January 20th as a tribute to Ricky Steamboat. Those are always cool, of course. Uh, Clash on January 25th will feature Butcher versus Randy Savage or Blacktop Bully versus Justin Rhodes. Rumored, popular rumors, WCW will win the WCW WCW title in the above match. Based on the logic of Hulk Hogan dropping the strap to Butcher because they want to rerun Hogan versus Savage feud next year. This feud made a lot of money in 1989, and Hogan won't drop the belt directly to Savage, but would to his pal, Ed. Boy, WCW has the rumor mill swirling. How does one do a barfing smiley? Um, so there you go. Big hot rumor. <laughs> the Butcher winning the world title and dropping it to Savage at the Clash to set up <laughs> Savage Hogan, too. Oh, my God. Hogan couldn't even job to Savage. So oh God, it's terrible. Um, uh. I love the Bigelow's turning. God, Herb, maybe you should go back to your uh, lectures because Bigelow turning babyface and Butcher winning the title. And oh, my God, this stuff's, this stuff's horrendous. Um, you know, the other problem and and Herb just pointed out to it. Injuries hurt WCW. You got right. you got Austin who was hurt. You had Arn who was hurt. Those are two, you know, obviously stalwart midcard guys who put on great matches. And of course, we know that Austin would never wrestle for for uh, WCW again. Um and Arn comes back, I don't know, April, I think, or May, something like that. Um, but, I mean, in Herb's defense, I will say this, even as, as hackneyed as the beefcake shit was, here was the problem. Like, the, the two companies were in such a weird enigma at the moment because the rosters were so imbalanced that, I mean, you really didn't know what was going to happen from week to week because 
you know, you don't know how to book this guy to this guy. And then, you know, oh, we got a tag tournament. You don't know tapings and all this other shit. And, you know, Savage is here now. So you don't know what the hell you're going to do here. And maybe he'll win the belt and fucking beefcake. And I mean, it's so I mean, it's it is a little mishmashed as we head into 1995. But but uh, wow. I mean. Both companies are. This was a good spot for. Again, I know. We'll, I know we'll get more into it over in the coming episodes. But when we start, when you start mentioning uh, when her, or at least you say when Herb starts mentioning ECW more and more, um, you'll see that that's where the spike came that year because yeah. the other two companies were fucking crap. But we'll cross that bridge. Well, we'll see so. if the butcher gets down on bended knee to ask <laughs> Hogan to kiss the ring and win that world title. Uh, on bended knee by Boys to Men is the number two song in the nation this week in 1994. Number one still comes a hot stepper by Eddie Kamosi. Yeah, that brings us in to Scott Criscolo's vintage pop culture corner. Uh, thank you, JR. And yes, Nick Kamosi, here comes the hot step. Ah, is number one. So on bended knee, or <laughs> Brutus on both knees, uh, <laughs> it's in front of Hogan, wanting that world title. Uh, even that wasn't happening. And number two, uh, this isn't a bad top ten. Uh, Another Night by The Real McCoy at, uh, at number three. Always by Bon Jovi at four. Creep by TLC at five. Uh, Boy to Men still in the top. I'll Make Love to You, which dominated the chart in 94, is down at six. Secret by Madonna at seven. All I Want to Do by Cheryl Crow, who I met uh, a few months earlier at a at the Dallas-Fort Worth airport uh, when I was going down to do a UNH football game. She was at the airport. She's very short. Um, ask if you just wanted to have some fun? Have some fun. And uh, I told her I do peel the labels off my bottles of Bud. Uh, I Want to Be Down by Brandy at 9, and You Want This slash 70s Love Groove by Janet at number 10. So there's your number. There's your music's even a little wonky at the end of uh, 94. Um, so uh, I, I'm curious to see how 95 is in terms of uh, music. Let us now go from the radio to the hard, uh, to the, not to the hardwood, to the uh, big screen and what's going on in movies the weekend ending December 16th, uh, 1994. At number 10, uh, Interview with the Vampire, The Vampire Chronicles. Uh, I'm trying to remember, JR. Is that the one that's got Aliyah in it? I'm trying to remember now. Uh, I don't know. You're reaching if you're asking yeah. me. Yeah, know. that's true. I'm asking, yeah, well, you, I'm asking you. It's a horror movie. Uh, Interview with the Vampire, The Vampire Chronicles at number 10. A Low Down Dirty Shame, a little Disney action at nine. Junior at number eight. Mm. Junior? Arnold I and do. Uh, Danny? Yes, Danny DeVito. Yeah, yeah good movie. Star Trek Generations at number seven for a Kiss. sci-fi nerd like me. Uh, well, no, well, I mean, Picard and Kirk in the same movie. It was pretty cool. Uh, the Lion King still making big time money at number six. Uh, Speechless made its debut weekend at number five. Drop Zone at number four. Disclosure, pretty good Michael Crichton movie at number three. That was uh, prime Hachimachi Demi Moore in Disclosure. Michael Douglas also in that movie. Uh, the Santa Claus, the first one. Oh, yes, the Santa Claus. The Santa Claus at number two. And big comedy. We talked about this guy many times in 1994, JR. Another one of this guy's movies debuted at the top of the charts that weekend, the top of the movie charts that weekend. Is it Jim Carrey? It is. Uh, 
His last name is the same as the holiday that just passed. Oh, Dumb and Dumber? I thought that was earlier in the year. How Dumb okay, and Dumb and Dumber. Dumber. Mr. Lloyd Christmas. Yes, Dumb and Dumber made its uh, debut that, that weekend. It made $16 million. Yeah. So, and remember, what was it? Three movies that year? Yes, Ace Ventura, the, the Mask, and, and Dumb and, and Dumber. Yeah. Fucking animal. What a beast. Uh, so there was your uh, domestic weekend moneymakers uh, in movies for the end of, for December 16th, 1994. So... From the movie screen to the stadium, it is time to take the field. And out of the raid is blowing another game this week. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, sad weekend, though, you know. I can't believe poor Franco Harris died three days before mm. the 50th anniversary of the play that made him and uh, only the third Steeler to have his number retired. Steelers are weird like that. I mean, probably one of the greatest one of the greatest dynasties of all time. And the only three guys whose numbers are retired is Ernie Stoutner, who played before the dynasty, Mean Joe Green, and now Franco. So no Bradshaw, no Swan, no Stallworth. It's crazy that Bradshaw is not. I know, right? I'm crazy. A lot of the Jack Lambert, you know, mm. uh, all those guys are all in the Hall of Fame, but they're not their numbers aren't retired. It's crazy. Anyway, uh, it is week 16 of the 1994 NFL season. Uh, now, we uh, did ask our good friend Steve Bennett to give us his picks. He gave me his picks um, for this. So we do you, Jr. you don't get off the hook. You don't get a, you don't get a forfeit. <laughs> you. You do have uh, an opponent. What is uh? So what's the situation here? You versus the field. I am up got? by 11, 33 to 22. Wow. So I'd have to pretty much get shut out, which won't happen <laughs> in this one. No. Uh, so it looks like we're going to close out uh, a victorious season here for me. Yes. There you go. All right. So there were two Saturday games uh, this week, this week, 16. Uh, we will begin at uh, the Silverdome in Pontiac, where the Lions host the Minnesota Vikings, Jr. Uh, I will take the Lions. Okay. Uh, Steve also took the Lions. Barry Sanders rushed for a buck 10. Lions win easily, 41 to 19. Uh, next, we go to Candlestick Park in San Francisco. The 49ers hosting the Denver Broncos. Uh, Steve picked the 49ers, JR. Okay, I will as well. All right. Steve Young threw for 350. Niners win comfortably, 42 to 19. All right, let's go to the Sunday games. We'll go to Rich Stadium in Buffalo, where the Bills hosting the New England Patriots, uh, JR. I'll take Buffalo there. Okay. Steve took the Patriots. Drew Bledsoe threw for 276. Big win for the Pats. Mm. 41-17. Big win for the Pats. Next, we go to Soldier Field in Chicago. The Chicago. The Bears hosting the LA Rams. Uh, Steve took the Rams. Yeah, I'll take the Rams. Uh, Bears win 27 mm. to 13. Let's go to Lambeau Field in Green Bay. The Packers hosting the Atlanta Falcons, JR. I will take Green Bay at home. Uh, so did uh, Steve. Uh, good pick. Brett Favre threw for 321. Packers win 21 17. Let's go to the Meadowlands. The J E T S Jets, Jets, Jets hosting the San Diego Chargers. Uh, let's see whose turn. Steve took the Chargers. I will as well, because this is after uh, the fake spike, and I believe they spiraled. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if they won again yeah. after that. So Yes, uh, and they didn't win here. Chargers 21, 
Jets six. Was Coslett still head coach? No, this was Pete Carroll, wasn't it? It was Pete Carroll. That was one year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right, next, let's go to uh, RFK Stadium in our nation's capital, the artist formerly known as Washington uh, Redskins, uh, hosting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Whose turn is it? JR. I will take Washington. Uh, So did Steve and, uh, no, uh, Craig Erickson, the former Hurricane, threw for 267. Bucks win 17-14. I know, right? Uh, Next, we'll go to the Hoosier Dome in Indianapolis, the Colts hosting the Miami Dolphins. Uh, uh, Steve took the Dolphins. Uh, I will as well. Dan Marino threw for 225, but the Colts win a snoozer Mm. 10-6. Ugh. Let's go out to uh, Tempe, to Sun Devil Stadium, the Arizona Cardinals, hosting the Cincinnati Bengals, JR. Uh, I will take the, oh, God, Uh, I guess the Cardinals. Uh, So did Steve, and uh, good pick. Cardinals win 28-7. This win, uh, what's his name, Steve Blake? Is that what it was? Steve Blake was the quarterback for the Bengals? Jeff Blake. Jeff Blake. Blake. Steve Blake played tennis. Uh, Jeff Blake. So you can tell that. Things were dark for the uh, for the Bengals. Uh, we go to Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. The Chiefs hosting the Houston Oilers. Uh, Steve took the Chiefs. Yeah, me too. Well, of course, Joe Cool was quarterbacking the Chiefs. 235 yards from Montana. Chiefs win 31-9. to Let's go to Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia. The Eagles hosting the New York Giants, JR. Uh, I'll take the Eagles. Uh, Steve took the Giants. And Dave Brown threw for 264. Giants win. 1613. Speaking of the Steelers, let's go to uh, Three River Stadium. The Steelers hosting the Cleveland Browns. Uh, let's see who's up. Uh, Steve took the Steelers. I'll take the Browns. This would be the Browns' second to last season in existence, or at least the first half of their life. Uh, and they lost. <laughs> Vinny Testaverde, he sounds familiar, doesn't he? Threw for 250, but the Steelers win 177. Uh, we go to the Kingdom in Seattle. The Seahawks hosting the uh, got team whose theme we just heard the Raiders, uh, Jr. Um, oh God, I'll take Seattle. Uh, Steve took the Raiders and the Raiders win by a point 17 to 16. And finally on Monday night from the Superdome in New Orleans, the saints host the two time defending champion Dallas Cowboys. Uh, it is Steve, I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he took, uh, he took Dallas. Okay, me too. I'll say if any, he's going to know if anyone in that game. Exactly. And he, and of course, he remembers the game. He's a Saints fan, and the Cowboys mm-hmm. did win 24 to 16. All right. So that's my first loss of the year. Mr. Bennett uh, puts up an 11 spot, 11 to 7. So uh, first, first losing week for me, but my lead was padded enough. Yes. So let's say that was 14, 21, 28, 33 for the opposition. Uh, 14 and 8 is 22. 10 is 32, and 8 is 40 for me. So I won by 7, even with Steve's uh, drubbing here tonight. Drubbing. And there you go. That is the conclusion of our football picks until we get to the fall of 95 and the fall of 09 on the uh, Black to the Future. Mm -hmm. All right, NBA games. Uh, There was no hockey, if anybody remembers, after the Rangers won the Stanley Cup in 94. We had our first of three work stoppages, Gary Bettman, you fucking piece of shit. Three work stoppages in the NHL. They wouldn't start their season until after the new year. Uh, so no hockey games in the NBA. There were uh, nine games on this date. Uh, Jr. Your Hornets with a 13 point win over the Pistons, 10693. Uh, the Celtics win uh, lose in San Antonio to the Spurs, 122 to 110. Standings: uh, the Magic, of course, 
the Shaq Penny Magic out to a 16 and 4 start. Pacers lead the Central at 13 and 6. The Hornets not too bad, 11 and 9. They're in third place. Uh, Houston, the defending champions, lead the Midwest at 13 and 6. And the Suns, uh, with Sir Charles, lead the Pacific at 15 and 5. And finally, uh, this could not be uh, skipped, JR, because uh, it's a shame that we don't have Mr. Capel this week because this is a epic, historically mm-hmm. epic episode uh, of uh, Beverly Hills 90210. We are, of course, midway through season five. Ooh, this is a long one. The episode aired on this date, December 14th, 1994. The episode is called Injustice for All. Are you ready? Yes. In the aftermath of the house fire, of course, a huge thing that happened in that season, Mm -hmm. Kelly suffers second and third degree burns on her right arm, wrist, and ear, and the whole right side of her neck and back. Allison's injuries are much more severe, Mm -hmm. but she maintains a positive attitude. While Kelly recovers at the beachfront apartment tended by her mother, Jackie, Brandon is racked with guilt because of his feelings for my beloved Emily Valentine and that he was not there for Kelly. Kelly does not react well when she learns that Emily is still in town. I never thought that Emily Valentine would come back. I was actually happy in season five when she came back. Yeah. It was a good mix. But after speaking to Dylan over the phone at the halfway house and meeting Emily herself, Kelly learns that Brandon still loves her. Meanwhile, Steve, this is the big one. Steve also feels guilty for the house fire and calls upon his father, Rush, to help out after Griffin abandons him. Oh, Griffin. Mr. Van Dean. When Griffin is found by the police hiding out in his parents' house because he's a piece of shit and brought in, Steve learns to his bewilderment that the police intend to charge both he and Griffin with multiple felonies, which include disturbing the peace, criminal trespassing, holding an illegal rave, arson, damage to private property, two counts of attempted manslaughter of Kelly and Allison, uh, etc. Due to Steve's legal troubles, uh, Valerie quickly distances herself from him, which leads Steve to finally realize that Valerie really is a bad person who was only interested in him for his money. Griffin's father hires a professional attorney for Steve and Griffin, where Rush, after looking over the case from behind closed doors with the lawyer, advises both of them to plead no contest to one count of disturbing the peace in order so the other charges can be dropped and to avoid jail time. At their arraignment, Steve and Griffin follow Rush's advice, and they both receive two years of probation, a $1,000 fine, and 100 hours of community service. And they are also both forbidden from organizing, promoting, and attending dance clubs, raves, or parties for two years. It's be a long Steve's way to get to that peach pit after dark for Steve. That's right. Yeah, right. That's destroying Steve's future plans and career as a party promoter. Steve is furious to learn of this provision that Rush arranged for the judge, but Steve is more shocked and angry minutes later outside the court. should be banking me. Yeah, I know, right? When he discovers, I love Rush, when he discovers the truth behind all of this, Griffin had actually later, he actually stole the keys to the Hollywood house from his father's real estate office. Instead of asking for permission to use it for the rave, Griffin lied to Steve about obtaining permission. Afterwards, at the keg house, Steve privately confronts Griffin over the house key theft and the events from that night leading up to the fact that Griffin inadvertently started the fire that put Kelly and the other girl in the hospital. When the smarmy Griffin shows no guilt or remorse over the fire for any of his admitted actions, the enraged Steve physically assaults Griffin and orders him to move out of the keg house and leave the fraternity immediately, as well as never talk to him again. Griffin reluctantly complies. Could Griffin go down, JR, as one of the greatest heels in uh, show history? I think so. He's, he's definitely up there. <laughs> Excellent sure. job. Excellent job by Casper Van Dien being a fucking scumbag. Elsewhere, Ray's perpetual bad mood confuses Donna. 
What a shock. He explains that his alcoholic mother always begins drinking around the holidays because his equally drunkard father left her on Christmas Day over 20 years ago and pushing her down a flight of stairs. Interesting. Really? Hmm. And causing her to have a miscarriage. Elsewhere, Andrea and Jesse throw a party for Hannah's first Hanukkah, which is, of course, the A storyline of this episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesse obtains work as an attorney for those who cannot afford representation and takes his very first court case involving child abuse. Later, Jesse's confidence turns into anger and frustration after the end result of his case not shown on camera, which is the court's harsh and unfair treatment of his client, a widowed Mexican immigrant father whose two children are taken away by social services after a babysitter neglects them. Jesse's angry and unhappy story about the case and lesson about injustice to Steve leads Steve to go to do a good deed. And at the end, uh, Dylan comes home from rehab and is greeted by a letter from a stranger in Michigan who found Erica's note in the LAX bathroom. Do we remember that, sir? From the finale of season four, pleading for his help. The note reads, Dylan, Kevin and my mother are taking me to Brazil. Help me, Erica. Wow. Time to go confront the pirate. That's right. What an episode. Woo! Season five. Can't wait till you guys over on uh, 90210 get to season five. Wow. Powerhouse episode. Epic, epic episodes up and down. That's Yeah, it's, it's a crazy run that they get on. Um, yeah. Season well, four and five just get crazy. But even in season two, we're, we're really enjoying it. Um, we're oh, back yeah, at school now. It's yep. over at 90210so.podbean.com. If you're interested in yes. that, Tim Capel, I, and rotating guests going through the history of 90210 uh, from the start. Yes. So. Oh, it's a fantastic show. Please, please listen. And, uh, you know, and I always talk about season five because I feel like, I mean, season three is my personal favorite season ever, but I always liked season five because we always, we thought with, with, you know, Brenda leaving that they were going to be kind of, Mm -hmm. but obviously Valerie came in and fucking murdered it. And just these storylines have just been really good and, uh, just really top notch. So there you go. Uh, epic episode to wrap up our report. And that is it, JR, for our pop culture corner. All right. Why don't we go ahead and. Head back to the future now to close out the calendar year of 2008 with Armageddon. December 14th, 2008, from, uh, fittingly enough, Buffalo, New York at the HSBC Arena. <laughs> I know, right? A major storm that night, but there we are. Uh, 12,500 in attendance, 193,000 buys. This is the ninth and final edition of Armageddon. As of uh, this date, anyway. It's also New York's 23rd pay-per-view, third in Buffalo after fully loaded 99, and... Uh, Bash uh, 05. Very good. On December 4th, former developmental talent Steve Bradley passed away at 32. I remember Bradley's hmm. name getting thrown out a lot in the late 90s. Yes. Yep. He was uh, definitely hyped quite a bit. Yep. Uh, uh, the next day, December 5th, Dirty taped their annual tribute to the Troop Show at Camp Liberty in Baghdad. show aired on December 20th on NBC. On the 12-8 Raw three-hour episode featured the return of the Slammies uh, for the first time since 1997. The award winners quickly were Wrestle of the Year Chris Jericho, Diva of the Year Beth Phoenix, Tag Team of the Year Morrison and Miz, Match of the Year Michaels versus Flair from WrestleMania, Breakout Star of the Year Vladimir Kozlov, Announcing of the Year Grisham and Stryker, Finisher of the Year Evan Bourne's Airborne, Couple of the Year Edge and Vicky Guerrero, 
Extreme moment of the year, Jeff Hardy hitting the Swanton Bomb off the Raw set onto Randy Orton on January 14th. The Oh My God moment of the year, CM Punk cashing in Money in the Bank on June 30th. The damn moment of the year, Drake Kali hosting the Kiss Cam on November 7th, SmackDown. Best ODE.com exclusive, The Dirt Sheet with Miz and Morrison. Best musical performance, R-Truth singing his theme song on the 915 SmackDown. Best <laughs> impersonation, Charlie Haas as the Glamour Haas from October 27th. And, of course, best landscaper, Mr. Bob Backlund. On December 11th, 08, Gene Snitsky was released. So the Snitsky uh, era ends here, about four years after it began. At a tri-branded house show on December 13th, John Morrison and The Miz defeated CM Punk and Kofi Kingston to win the tag team titles. And on December 14th, former w, uh, ECW regular and WF developmental tell Mike Bell passed away at 37, of course. If you remember, he was the guy that Perry Saturn roughed up in that infamous match on Shotgun uh, yes. back in, what, like, 01 or 2000 or 01. Yeah. Yep. Uh, all right. So. That is all of our news and notes. We're going to head inside the arena for a, a pretty basic opening video, kind of straight away, actually, from the usual end of times style that they'd always do. Uh, yes. They feature more about legendary warriors and going to war and different battles uh, versus kind of the end, end is here type uh, feel they give to Armageddon generally. Right. Right. Uh, Jim Ross welcomes us into the arena and we get right into our opening match, which is Matt Hardy taking on Vladimir Kozlov. Scott, how did we get to this match? Well, sir, on the 11:28 SmackDown, Matt cut a promo saying that he believed Edge and Vicky Guerrero were behind the attack on Jeff, and he would make sure Jeff got his title shot. And later that night, Matt and Kozlov competed in a beat the clock challenge, though the match ended in a time limit draw. On the 12:5 SmackDown, Kozlov attacked Matt during his match with the Brian, with the Brian Kendrick, and Kozlov tied him in the ropes before beating him down until officials pulled him away. On the 12:9 ECW. Kozlov made an appearance and attacked Tommy Dreamer as he issued a challenge to Matt for the pay-per-view. And later that night, the match was made official as Matt cut a promo saying Kozlov couldn't beat him. And on the go-home SmackDown on 12-12, Matt appeared on the cutting edge. And Edge talked about who had motive to attack Jeff at Survivor Series. And said, and he said that no one cared about Matt like they do. Jeff and Matt knocked Edge down only for uh, Kozlov to come out and attack Matt. So there we go. All right, our ECW champion heads out. Good pop as always. Grisham and Stryker on the call. Take us through the challenge from Kozlov to Hardy on SmackDown. Feels like a quick step down from Kozlov. He was still undefeated here, but, you know, opening the card against the ECW champion. Uh, Stryker says Kozlov speaks a mix of Ukrainian and Russian as he stands stoically at the bell. Non-title match that Teddy Long is allowing... Uh, but wouldn't put the title up because Kozlov has never been on ECW. Kozlov batters Hardy to start. Hardy slugs right back at him, not backing down. Kozlov keeps bringing the heavy blows, slings Hardy to the post, attacks a shoulder with strikes and a key lock. The crowd rallies Hardy, but Kozlov hits a nasty spot where he pulls Hardy up by his arm and slams him down for two. Kozlov keeps the key lock hooked and grinds away at Hardy, hits an armbar DDT for two. Kozlov goes back to the key lock. Hardy gets the ropes and gets some breathing room. Hardy tries an axe off the top, catches a headbutt to the sternum. Hardy knocks Kozlov outside and runs him into the post. Back inside, Hardy hits a side effect for two, but he gets mowed down on a leap off the middle rope. Hardy then fires back, but Kozlov flicks him off the middle rope and into the ring post and finishes him with a clean, uh, finishes him off clean with a baronogram headbutt and stiff spine buster. So a pretty fine opener. The crowd is actually into it. I mean, Hardy's been real good in these types of matches. Kozlov's offense is pretty solid, even with the basic submission work. It was rugged overall. A much better fit for Kozlov. Upper mid-card grinder matches with a guy that can bounce around. And another win for Vlad. Uh, tough to have Matt lose here, but he keeps his title. And I thought he looked tough hanging in the whole way. So I went two and three-quarter star. 
I I gave this two and a half uh, stars. Your match time was nine oh two. I was actually surprised. I was surprised that uh, that um, Matt lost this match. I kind of thought, just my personal opinion, I kind of thought uh, that uh, Kozlov was being kind of pushed down the card after uh, you know losing, not not winning the title in the the or at the uh, match at uh, Survivor Series. Um, so I thought he kind of like you know just kind of it was evident that he didn't have main event cachet. So he, uh, you know, just kind of kicked down the mid card. And I kind of thought that Matt was going to win here, but it does lead to something down the line. So it's not a, it's not a dumb move by, uh, not a dumb move by, uh, by them to have Matt lose. Cause we see what happens down the line. But, uh, I like the match overall. Again, Kozlov's a grinder. Uh, he's a guy who can, uh, you know, when he's got the right opponent, he can look pretty good. And, um, Matt can can sell for guys like that. So I enjoyed the match. Two and a half. Nothing crazy. I was just kind of surprised that uh, uh, that Matt lost. I was a little perplexed by that. But we'll see what happens. Obviously, as we do our show in two weeks, our next show in two weeks, we kind of understand where I think it's coming from. But solid opener. Nothing crazy. Um, and a, a nice win for Kozlov. I was just kind of surprised that he that he won. I thought I figured Matt would win. So. All right. Eddie, uh, I'm sorry, Eddie, Jesus, uh, Vicky Guerrero, Chavo <laughs> Guerrero, and Edge are watching backstage and kind of laugh about Hardy getting demolished. Edge leaves to get ready for his match and kisses Vicky goodbye. Chavo asks Edge and Vicky uh, how Edge and Vicky took out Jeff Hardy in the hotel, and Vicky asserts that they were not involved, but he's not buying it. Vicky tells him to go get some coffee. Jim Ross and Taz plug the mobile poll, and that is about who attacked Jeff Hardy. Was it Edge, Triple H, Kozlov, or other? Finley, Hornswoggle, and Eve are backstage elsewhere talking about the holidays, and Finley tells Hornswoggle he needs to stay backstage tonight. And then we see William Regal and Layla at ringside. Regal takes a seat in the throne to watch as he's set to face the winner of the finals of this IC title tournament, uh, determined who will be the number one contender to his strap. Uh, any quick thoughts on any of those segments before we get into the next match? Uh, nah, I mean, everything seemed pretty cut and dry. Uh, you know, the whole Jeff stuff was still fresh in people's minds obviously so no nah, pretty pretty cut and dry right there all right so uh scott why don't you tell us what took us to this next match which is a finals of the tournament between cm punk and ray mysterio jr uh yes and uh as jr mentioned the winner of this match would be the number one contender for the intercontinental title which is currently held by mr regal on the 1124 raw it was announced that a tournament would begin that night to determine who the number one contender would be with the finals taking place here and that night, Kofi Kingston defeated Kane, while Punk defeated Snitsky to advance to the semifinals. On the 12-1 Raw, John Morrison defeated Finley, and Rey Mysterio defeated The Miz to move on to the semis. On the 12-8 Raw, uh, on the 12-8 Raw, the semifinals took place with Punk defeating Morrison and Mysterio defeating Kingston. After he won his Slammy Award, Punk vowed to add the IC title to his growing list of accomplishments. And here we are. All right, Ray comes out to a warm welcome. We recap the road to the finals. Pretty competitive tournament and a, a great match on paper here. Punk jogs out as Cole tells us uh, Punk and Kingston lost their tag tails last night to Miz and Morrison and Hamilton. We get stills of the match. It was pretty surprising. We then get uh, some feeling out on mat work with both guys easing in through some holes at a flurry of trading pin covers. Ray sets up to 619, but Punk counters an arm drag and tries to go to sleep. Ray reverses. Punk flings Ray outside at Regal's feet, but he doesn't move, and Punk hits Ray with a plancha. 
Back inside, Punk works through some offense, targets the back with power spots and submissions. The crowd is fired up and in on this as Ray tries to shove back into it. Punk crotches him on top and knocks him into a tree of woe. Ray gets two on a perfect moonsault and starts to attack Punk's knee. Punk gets a scoop power slam for two. Punk now targets the shoulder and doing whatever he can to wrench on Ray's body. Ray counters a spinning slam to a Fujiwara armbar in a nice spot, and he wrenches on it. Ray takes to the air and uses his speed to batter the shoulder. Ray hits a great dive off the top to the floor as he's in control. Ray keeps flying around and banging into Punk, but he can't keep him down for three. We get a series of pin attempts from both guys. Punk comes back and nails a running knee and a bulldog for two. Both guys are pretty worn down and emptying the tank with various pin combinations and strikes. Punk dodges a 619, but Ray counters as a GTS with a Rana. Hits a 619, but Punk dodges a splash and they roll on. Punk fights up and hits a go to sleep and finishes to a pop to become the number one contender for the IC belt. Ray's nose is fucked up and we see it was all from the finish and Punk checks on him. They stare down Regal. A pretty good hard-fought classic-style match. Just two guys going to war through hard offense and great selling. Just no bullshit. A fight and a good presentation with psychology. A big win for Punk, who's set up to feud with Regal now for the IC title. And uh, just a great match, Scott. Surprisingly so. I went no, Not surprisingly. I just had forgotten about it. I went three and three-quarter stars. Yeah. Um, uh, 12-15, uh, your match time. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed this match. I gave it four stars. I liked it a lot, actually. Uh, it's a, it's not often that punk wrestles somebody that's bigger than him. So I kind of enjoy that weird dynamic, but punk was in a good groove here. Um, Ray to this point, um, is just really good every week. I mean, he's, this is his wheelhouse. I know when we, when we talked to, uh, when we had our show with Will, uh, earlier last year, uh, and we talked about the GWWE, um, he was big onto Ray and this was really Ray's good run right here. Um, uh, and he was just good with anybody. So I really enjoyed this match. I enjoyed kind of the grinding. Uh, Punk can really adapt either way at this point in his career to, to either kind of style. And Ray wasn't as jumpy, jumpy as he had been earlier in his career. He was still, I don't say he was bloated, but I mean, he was bloated two years earlier, but he was definitely bigger than he was, you know, even when he got to the company in 02. Um, so he wrestles differently. I'm sure. 02 Punk, uh, 02 Ray versus 09 Punk would have been very different, or 08, but still a great match. Really fun to watch, again, Punk in a in a different role as kind of the bigger guy. Um, and Regal was a good IC champion. I like the whole throne there, and it's just good for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, Punk Regal sounds like a lot of fun. Let's put it that way. That's a match I would pay to watch. So yeah, it'd be a cool feud. We'll see. I mean, let's see if Regal can friggin' stay in the game. Like every time they give him one of these pushes, he either gets popped for drugs, <laughs> gets sick, gets injured. Like this has yeah. been the story of his career. Is all through this everything. Right. Every time he's getting a push, something happened. We started earlier in the year where he won the King of the Ring and then got popped for the um, you know, substance abuse. So now they're right back to the push. So we'll see how this one goes in a suit of right. punk going the new year. All right. Uh, Jeff is backstage in darkness with some glow paint on. He talks about his long road to the top over the past two years, how he had to be willing to make changes for himself, not just be the screw up, but everyone is afraid of he's capable of and has broken his own walls down. And tonight starts a new chapter to see through the eyes of the imagination. And he will answer the question of what uh, whatever or not he has what it takes and is willing to change. He is who he is. Jeff Hardy, dirty champion. This is a great promo on a big night for Jeff. Yes, I agree. Uh, Cole and King reset. They talk about the tough year of Shawn Michaels and the recent revelation of Michaels being broke from the stock market crash of 2008. 
and uh, he has taking uh, w- will he be taking JBL's offer? Uh, we get highlights and raw of JBL's revelation offering Sean a job. And then we did see uh, JBL accepting Sean's match of the year slamming on his behalf, which is a great bit. Uh, it was really funny. Uh, we then head back to the ring where JBL comes out, brings out his newest employee, Sean Michaels. Michaels comes out to a mixed reaction. Not as energetic as usual, kind of downtrodden. He sulks to the ring. Sean says he was not immune to the economy. He's in a tough spot. He's heard of the whispers about what he should be. And as a 20-year-old coming to money, he lived the high life. He gave his buddies handouts. And by his 30s, the injuries mounted. He didn't ask for help. He paid for every surgery himself, so he wasn't beholden to anyone. Ten years ago, he met his wife and had two kids and turned his life around. Invested his money in the stock market. And that went well for a while as he supported his family, his friends, his church, and charity. But now the roof has caved in, and he isn't going to lie. He doesn't have much time left, and he has family that depends on him. And that is why he took this offer from JBL. He thinks JBL is a smug bully and is reprehensible, but he's good financially, and that's what he needs. He'll put his children through college and help his family keep their homes and not become one of those guys bagging groceries, poor Shane Douglas, or limping into a high school gym to wrestle, <laughs> and he will not become a tragedy. If people want to judge and boo him, it's a price to pay. He'll do it. We get you sold out chance as Sean hangs his head. Sean says he doesn't want to do this. He has to. JBL takes the mic, glares at Sean, offers his hand, and Sean shakes it. And that's that. Uh, this is a great promo. Uh, I think the premise is a little shaky, but these guys are so good at it that it makes it feel real. And, and it was timely to what was going on in the world. I mean, it's relatable, right? A lot of people lost a lot of money in 2008. Uh, mm. Sean stays hot. The crowd was hanging on through all this. So I, I thought this was really good. I think this is a story that could have bombed in the hands of lesser talent. Uh, but I think guys like JBL and Sean, who are so well ensconced in their characters and are such good talkers, they'll be able to make this feel realistic. Um, so we'll see how it plays out. But I, I this is pretty good stuff. Uh, I You kind of sold me on it a little bit. I, I think the whole storyline is fucking stupid. I think it's kind of dumb. Sean's broke. I mean, really? Sean's broke? That's that's idiotic. I don't know. It's I get it. And I get the fact that, yes, we were talking about real world stuff here. Absolutely. But and Sean can get a Sean is the kind of guy that can take a real world storyline and make us feel it. But I don't know. I just it just seems so forced just to give JBL leaning towards JBL doing what we do, what, what he'll get the following month. Um I think it was just something to keep Sean on TV because I think they ran out. I think they were probably in like a, a stalling pattern with him. Right. Uh, uh, I just, well, I, I don't know. I thought at I the just, time this was I going thought, to Mania, honestly. Like I, this seemed like the Mania feud getting set up here to me um, back in 08. I just figured he would work for him. They'd blow up and then Sean would get his freedom at Mania. I mean, that, that's what it seemed like at the time. Uh, I'm sure JBL would have loved that. <laughs> JBL, JBL could have had his first four and a half star match. And I mean, the match that happens to Sean doesn't seem at this point, like anything on the radar. So, I, I mean, what else would there have been, you know? Right. I just, I don't know. The whole thing of him being broke just seemed really, I don't know, stupid. But you make a good point that if you are going to do a storyline that kind of makes sense, kind of doesn't, uh, you might as well have Sean, Sean and JBL do it to guys that, know it that get it you're not going to give it to like if you had let's put it this way if you had sean ask like dibiase you know that would really be fucking dumb you know it had to be somebody that that could be believable to you and a good heel and so uh i i i definitely um i definitely will give you that that the carrot the people put in these spots make it better but again um 
I just, I don't know. I just the storyline was kind of silly, but I mean, it, it again, it, it made sense. I get that. I just, I don't know. A WWE superstar being broke and having a counter on somebody else. I don't know, but I will say that you, you do, you do make a good point that if you're going to give, do a storyline like this, this is the guy you want to, you know, these are the guys you want to do it because it, it adds credence. So, but at first I'm like, Sean's broke. That's weird. That was the <laughs> only just, shaky not. part of this. I think um, the, like the, him having to work for him and all that, like works well. I just think, yeah, the premise that he's broke, but Sean is so good at delivering. It's like, well, I mean, is it that crazy? When he signed that big money deal in 1997, he was known to be like a drug addict. <laughs> he was, you know, he was young and idiot. Like, so it's believably blew all the money. And then, okay, I rebuilt my bankroll a little bit. And hey, just like everyone else, this dude made some bad investments and got fucked in 2008. Like, he was not alone. So, like, right. I don't think it's that crazy given the timeliness of the storyline. Um, mm. Yeah. But I again, mean, at least it was Sean. There were a lot of older athletes, right, that got hosed and blew their money and had a grift or, you know, whatever. It's like, I don't know. I don't think it's that far-fetched. Mm. But again, at least it was Sean. So yeah, well, he can explain it, seemed, it better. It like, seemed so legitimate. It kinda, yeah. Kinda. Yeah. So we'll see so. how it plays out. All right. Uh, Eve is with Randy Orton. She asks a strategy for tonight, but Cody Rhodes and Manu interrupt, and Cody plays up Orton as the crown jewel from Evolution, while Batista was just the muscle. Says Batista is not on their level as a third generation star. Manu says Orton has waited four years to expose Batista as a fraud. So, you know, Orton's kind of coming around with these young guys, right, on his tail. So, uh, Ross and Taz reset. We see some Buffalo Bills in the crowd. Taz takes a shot at them and makes a comment that he's a Jets fan. They then plug the mobile pole. And we head back to our uh, the ring for our next match, which is Mark Henry taking on Finley Scott. Uh, any background to this one? Uh, indeed, there is. On the 11:25 ECW, Henry and Atlas confronted Hordeswoggle backstage as they warned him what they would do to Finley in their match. And later that night, Finley and Henry wrestled to no contest when Finley attacked Henry and Atlas with the shillelagh when they tried to take Hornswoggle backstage. The following week on the 12-2 ECW, Finley cut a promo on Henry who interrupted him and said that Finley had cost him several matches and he would challenge Finley to a tag match the next week with Atlas and Hornswoggle as their partners and Finley reluctantly accepted. And on the 12-9 ECW, Henry and Atlas defeated Finley and Hornswoggle in a tag match when Henry pinned Finley. And that brings us to this, the Belfast Brawl. All right, let's get to it. Out comes Henry and Tony Atlas. They're focused. They're locked in for the Belfast Brawl. It's their second of the year. Um, Stryker talks about how Henry has threatened Finley's family. We see clips from ECW of Henry's actions. And Finley is angry as he arrives. Unloads some heavy strikes to start. Henry deadlifts and throws him to the floor with ease. Henry follows out, but Finley brings the heat, doing anything he can to slow down Henry. <clears throat> but the powers is too much. Henry overpowers, shoots him around to the floor. Stryker reminds him us that this is no DQ as Henry's beating on the ribs using the ring apron and the railing. Finley breaks free, grabs kendo sticks and trash cans and chucks him in the ring. Atlas takes a swipe at Finley, but Finley kicks him down dismissively, turns into a rough trash can lid shot from Henry. Henry slides down Finley's back with a sit-out splash, just battering on him now. Finley comes back with a trash can shot, uses the kendo stick and miss, follows the DDT. Finley's relentless, but Henry powers down again. Finley misses a bonsai splash. 
Finley grabs a shillelagh. I should say Henry misses a bouncy splash. Finley grabs a shillelagh, but Henry grabs it and breaks it in half and snaps a kendo stick with ease and hooks a bear hug. Hornswoggle shows up, but Henry whips Finley into him, and he bails out onto the ring. Atlas goes searching for Hornswoggle as Henry shows Finley to the corner and pushes a trash can hard into him and then beats him with it. Henry grabs the stairs, but Finley dropkicks his knees. Hornswoggle gives Finley another shillelagh. He hits Henry and wins the match. Uh, pretty fun brawl. Henry's a brutal monster with insane strength. It's so good in this role. And Finley's the perfect guy uh, to get in there with him because he's such a badass as well. Henry just dominating him. Uh, you know, that worked well. The family aspect was fine. Gives us some extra heat. I like Stryker and Grisham here getting over Henry's power and story. And a pretty good finish, too, with Hornswoggle helping out to pay it off. Kind of a hostile light. Overall, I was a little surprised Henry lost, honestly, but I think I think it was well earned given the storyline and the way the match went. So I actually went three stars on this, Scott. I, I found it to be pretty enjoyable. Uh, your match time, 938, which was uh, pretty good length. And I also gave it three stars. I thought it was a lot of fun. I like uh, I love I mean, it's two meets. Well, I mean, uh, Henry's meat. Uh, Finley's not really. But I mean, he wrestles like a guy who who could wrestle that size and they're hitting the hell out of each other. It's Finley. Uh, would we, would we have thought that Finley would be still wrestling in uh, three years after coming back or whatever it was, or, I mean, that's crazy. Uh, um, but I thought the match was, was, was hard hitting. Uh, Mark Henry is like a beast. I mean, this is clearly, uh, Mark Henry has finally found the groove that obviously he's been looking for since 1997 or 1996, actually. Uh, and I think he's finally found his groove. He's just a big nasty son of a bitch and mm -hmm. and that's all he needs to be there's that's it just a big nasty son of a bitch who's big enough to hurt you and uh he's like legit strong we're not talking you know just fat strong we're talking strong strong and uh i was a little surprised he lost i figured he'd just take him out and and mark henry would continue to pile up wins and and uh go from there but uh fun match again love the hard hitting love the physicality of it uh, but I, like you, I was surprised that that Finley uh, got the win here. I figured he would totally gotten obliterated. But it seemed like the way the weekly TV was going that that he was going to uh, uh, that he was going to uh, that he was going to win the match. So, uh, but still, Mark Henry losing was a bit of a shock. But it was a fun match anyway. Three stars for me as well. All right, the Divas are decorating a tree backstage, and in comes Santa Haas, Cadoodles, uh, and flirts a little bit. Says he has presents for all of them. Santino Morella and Beth Phoenix come in. They shit on all the girls losing the Diva of the Year competition to Beth to the Slammies. He says the call of the trophy Samantha, and they are picking the next present. Santino reaches the box, and he pulls out the Boogeyman, screams and runs off. He opens the door to escape, but there's Goldust under a mistletoe singing. Santino runs away, and Boogie gives Goldust a present, and they sing We Wish You a Merry Christmas with the Divas and other wrestlers and agents and legends all coming into the room as well. Uh, Kennedy elsewhere encourages WWE fans to be safe drinking. Don't do drugs and check out Behind Enemy Lions on DVD on January 6th. Hmm. Uh, all right. Anything on that before we move along? How low is fucking Kennedy sunk? <laughs> PSAs and know, right? shilling shitty DVDs <laughs> or Blu-rays actually at this point. But uh, wow. Boy, is he sunk. <laughs> Crazy. All right. So our next match is the Battle of Evolution Piers. We talked about a minute ago, and that is Batista taking on Randy Orton. How did we get across this match? Well, sir, uh, my my screen just moved. Let me just get here. Hold on. Da -da -da -da. Batista. Here we go. All right. On the 1124 Raw, Chris Jericho would defeat Batista and Orton in a triple threat match to earn a World Heavyweight Championship match at the pay-per-view. 
On the 12-1 Raw, Rhodes and Manu lost to CM Punk and Kofi Kingston in a tag title match while Orton watched backstage, and Rhodes confronted Orton uh, backstage as Orton said that he respected Rhodes and saw he had potential if he wanted to be at his side. Later that night, Batista defeated Dolph Ziggler, and Orton would come out as he said that he looked forward to facing Batista in the future, and Batista would tell him that they were set to fight at the pay-per-view, and Orton said that he had been waiting for this for four years. And on the 12-8 Raw, Orton teamed with Rhodes and Manu to defeat Batista and Triple H in a handicap match when he pinned Batista. I think this is the one evolution combo that we have not seen yet. I believe. Uh, yeah. Well, I think they had a match. I thought they had one. Was it earlier this year on Raw? And oh, there was uh, right after Mania, maybe, or maybe it was oh seven. They definitely had a match on Raw that was real good. Um, I, might have been, I think it was earlier in oh eight. I feel like it was right after Mania. Okay, I'll have to take a look because I, I feel be like they didn't. I feel like they didn't, but you might be right. There might be one sneaking around somewhere. There's a raw match out there, and I'm pretty sure it was before this. That was awesome. Um, it was like a random one-off that they had. Uh, but anyway, this is the real first time they have a big feud. And they're both peaking, so it's perfect timing. Uh, Batista has an awesome star entrance, as always. Orton saunters out with Rhodes and Manu, uh, finally adopting the young stars to his army. We get a powerful lockup to start. We're off and running with some quick control holds, swapping back and forth. Batista ends up outside. Cody and Manu pounce. They get thrown out, so Orton is now left alone. Orton works over Batista with some basic strikes. Batista roars back with heavy clotheslines and a big power slam. Orton counters a Batista bomb with a neckbreaker. Orton cranks on the head. Batista throws him hard to the floor, grabs his rehabbed collarbone, which is a cool touch. Orton catches Batista on the way back in and snaps him with a hanging DDT in a nasty spot. Orton settles back in and slowly beats on Batista's neck with a precision strikes and a tight chin lock and a rare naked choke. Batista uses his power to break free. We get a slug fest into Batista's clotheslines. They knock Orton to the floor. Batista follows and shoots Orton back inside. He heads up top, but Orton blocks him and follows. Hits a great superplex for two. Batista comes back with a spine buster for two. Loads a Batista bomb, but Orton slips out and tries an RKO. Batista counters to a side slam for two. Orton blocks a spear with a kick and hits an inverted backbreaker for two and ends up uh, setting up an RKO, but Batista shrugs it off, hits a rock bottom for a great near fall. Orton slugs back in, hits a DDT, but Batista blocks a punt, hammers away, yanks Orton for the corner, and finishes him off with a vicious Batista bomb for the clean win. Uh, well done battle here with the focus on Batista's neck and Orton's shoulder. A lot of ebbing and flowing down the stretch with a ton of teases into the finish. The story was very good here as well. Just two dudes that have a history of going to war. Lots of heavy power offense and big bombs that connected well with an engaged crowd. Batista wins clean and stays rolling, and Orton showed up great too. I went three and a half, Scott. This was a real lot of fun. Uh, I agree. Uh, I'm looking right now before I give my comments. I'm looking – I'm on cage match right now, and I'm looking all of Batista's matches – from 08 and most of these he's teaming with taker why do you think he fought i don't know i guess edge and mvp let me see i'll try and find it go ahead give your thoughts okay so um uh i i was looking forward to this match obviously me being an evolution guy i was looking forward to this match because i feel it was 05 they fought on january 10th 05 Oh, five. Okay. And then right. April 4th, 05, I think is the one I'm thinking about. I know it was after Mania, and they had this, like, great match. Oh, so it was, it was really the night after when he won the title. Okay, makes sense. It looks like, yeah. I knew there was one right after Mania. Okay. Uh, your length of that match, 1641, and, and I was, and, and I think they used every minute of it. I thought that was a mm-hmm. fantastic match. A uh, lot of fun. I, I, uh, Orton is, both guys are in a good groove. They're at their peak right now. Both guys could wrestle anybody anytime. Uh, we talked all year about how much we love Orton. Orton's kind of our 08 MVP in our, in my opinion. 
and he's just figuring out now, you know, excuse me, uh, looking for, <clears throat> I don't want to cough. He was, uh, you know, he's finally found that that's something that makes him the player that he needs to be now, uh, you know, with needing these extra main event guys and, and with, you know, trying to settle the top of the card and all these guys moving up. Orton needed to really look like the grown-up he needs to be. So he finally outgrew all of his frat boy shit and is becoming a stud. And Batista, who obviously still very um, in the company, but, you know, there were inklings. He wanted to kind of taste uh, Hollywood as well. But I don't know if that was really totally something uh, at this point. But it was just fun to watch both of them wrestle a solid no frills, singles wrestling match on a pay-per-view. Got a lot of time, almost 17 minutes, so they got plenty of time to work. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, and uh, what did I give it? Let me look at my grade here. I gave it, um, let's see here. Oh, there we go. Uh, I gave it three and a quarter. Uh, I almost gave it three and a half, but didn't quite get that point. But I think three and a quarter is pretty good for two guys that wrestle very differently. But Orton reminds me a lot of Edge in that he's the kind of guy that could wrestle anybody in any scenario. He does have his beats that he hits, but he could do things in between. So I was I was very impressed. I thought it was a great match. I thought it'd be a little slow and sloggy, but it was not. Um, so three and a quarter for me. And I, I I wish we could see more of them. Unfortunately, they're on different brands, but I... Uh, uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. And it made Orton look really strong. It was smart to have him. Uh, it was smart uh, um, for him to uh, to get the win, right? He got the win, right? Orton won that match, right? No, he um, went to clean. I just brain farted. That's what I thought. Okay, I yeah. just brain farted. Uh, I, I might have almost had Orton win this match now that I think about it. I almost yeah. might have had Orton win this match. But either way, it's a great match. Enjoyed it a ton. And I just love watching Orton now. He's just, he's become a good mechanic in the ring. He's finally learned, he's grown. But I have to say, I, I kind of thought he should win the match. But that's just me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy just how little, too, that these guys have fought over the years, given how long they were together in the company and they had history. So it's it's just random. But uh, they do right. deliver, and yeah, it would be great to see more. Uh, I'm fine with Batista going over clean. I think I think it was a good choice. Mm-hmm. as they continue to rebuild him and uh, he's had a good year it's been nice to see him not just getting tons of title shots again you know he's been doing some different stuff so um mm-hmm. it's been a good change all right we get a recap of the slammies and then we head to our next match which features our divas scott any build to this one all right we have a little lumber uh, we have a little some uh, some elves shall we say a jr it is uh michelle mccool well here we go on the 1124 Raw, James teamed with Candice Michelle and the returning Melina to defeat Hall, Beth Phoenix, and Katie Lee Burchill in a six woman tag. On the 1128 SmackDown, Maurice, Victoria, and Natalia defeated McCool, Bree, and Nikki Bella in a six woman tag, and McCool argued with the Bellas after the match as Maria came out to calm things down, only for McCool to shove her to the mat. And on the 12 5 SmackDown, Maria defeated McCool. Uh, in a non-title match, and she would celebrate backstage with the Bellas and the Colognes until McCool came backstage and kicked her while saying she got what she deserved. So the teams are Michelle McCool, Maria, Mickey James, and Kelly Kelly against Maurice, Jillian, Natalia, and Victoria in a Santa's Little Helper match. 
All right, time for some holiday cheer. The Divas head out in their Santa gear, faces in red. The heels are in green. We have all six announcers piped in for this one. Pretty good depth on the female side. Uh, they really built up the division. Like, it's becoming a little bit more serious, uh, despite this gimmick here. Uh, they're still being presented in a way that feels like it's a little bit more legitimate. And the depth is really uh, built up. So there's more than, you know, you might have had, like, maybe a handful in the past of legit. And all six, um, all eight of these, I should say, have been, uh, Divas have been presented well. Mm-hmm. King asks each announcer who the favorites are as we oscillate through different combinations. Stryker calls Kelly a hot Hebrew and lots of jovial goofing in the booth. The women are working hard. Formats like this work well because they can hit quick and switch off, uh, which helps the structure and flow as they continue to learn. Natalia gets a lot of shine in there as Ross mocks King's penis. Uh, just a bit much on all this. Mm. Julian's super aggressive. Cole mocks the 70s references being rolled out. Maria gets a big tag. Taz says her boots are like John Nord, which gets a big pop. Things eventually break down into a big brawl. Michelle finishes Jillian with her finisher and uh, wins the match, and that's it. Great Khali's music hits. He comes out. We get the holiday kiss cam. Michelle wins but bails out with her title and refuses to pay it off. Mickey, Maria, and Kelly stick around, but we get more stalling and reluctance, kind of dragging the show after we are cruising along. Runjan Singh has a backup plan. He brings out the real Santa's little helper, of course. That is Mae Young. Uh, mm. We get some celebrating for the remaining divas. King says May was at the original first Christmas. Kali isn't feeling it, but Singh makes it happen. A lot of fake laughing in the booth as Kali and May make out. Kind of the usual stuff here. I thought the match was well organized and balanced, but the announcers really took away from it. Like they were just goofing off big time, um, ignoring what was pretty good at times and with a strong finish just by kind of cracking jokes the entire time. Uh, mm-hmm. Michelle looked good standing tall. The post-match sucked. I really did not like it at all. I thought it completely dragged it down. Singh is not funny. Uh, the crowd didn't care. You know, May is May, but, like, put this on Raw. We didn't need the kiss cam on the pay-per-view. I would have rather had the match get, like, three more minutes and showcase uh, a group of women who are really starting to develop. So I went two stars, and I didn't think they did them any favors at all in this one. Uh, I agree. I gave it two stars as well. Uh I think this was a moderate length match. Let me double check here. It was uh, oh, oh, too far. It was uh, four thirty three. Yeah, they they could have gone. They could have gone further. Um, that ending that we got is the exact reason why the women's division at this point in history gets mocked uh, because it's like, oh yeah, you know, they had a match, but hey, out comes Kali and let's have all of this shit for the next seven eight minutes. Um, that's the problem with the women's division. <laughs> you know, it's, this is where it's really starting to show that, oh my God, we actually have some decent workers now and we they could put on really great matches and instead we're getting, you know, fucking Kali as a ladies' man. Hasn't that storyline, like, died out already? Like, big fat, big heavy, or big large dude is sexy beast? I mean, didn't we have that with Mark Henry? We had it with fucking Viscera, the love machine, and all that shit, like, Mm-hmm. Can I let that go, please. It's like so old and yeah. dated and you're ruining what could be a really nice women's division if you gave a shit. And it would only be a it would only take a couple years for them to actually start giving a shit. Right. Which sucks because there is some really good workers. So it is it it, it did ruin it. I mean, they got yeah. four and a half minutes. They could have gotten, you know, even maybe seven minutes and had a little more fun and skip this crap and could have done right. it the next night or whatever. Yeah, we didn't so. need the kiss cam. I know it got over that first time. It won the award, but. Um, and, and if you want to do it, it just didn't have to be as long. Like it, it was just like way too right out. I agree. You know, Sting is not funny. So it was just, yeah. All right. Let's see if we can bounce back with our next match, which uh, features a rematch from survivor series as John Cena now defends his world title against Chris Jericho. Scott, how did uh, Jericho get his rematch? 
Well, as I mentioned a couple of matches ago on the 11-24 Raw, Jericho defeated Batista and Randy Orton in a triple threat to earn the shot back. And at the end of the night, Jericho came out and vowed to regain the title like he did against Batista. Cena would appear in the crowd and said that all he cared about was giving the fans 100%, and Jericho thought he was better than everyone, and Jericho would list off everyone he had defeated as Cena challenged him right there, though Jericho walked out of the ring. Cena called Jericho out for claiming the fans weren't good enough, and Jericho vowed to become champion again, and Cena would beat Jericho down and in and out of the ring before putting him in the STFU and causing him to pass out as he stood over him with the title. Very aggressive, uh, Cena here. On the 12-1 Raw... Jericho came down through the crowd as he said he hated Cena's fans and said he didn't represent them before as champion and wouldn't when he regained the title. And he called the fans worthless except for his own son, who was a Cena fan, and he brought up Cena, causing him to be fired three years ago. He said that he banned his son from watching, though he would let him watch the pay-per-view so he could see his hero get exposed as a fraud and he would become champion again. Later that night, uh, Cena defeated Kane in a non-title match. Despite Jericho getting involved and Cena attacked him afterwards, but then Randy Orton, Cody Rhodes, and Manu would come out and assist Jericho in beating down Cena with Jericho putting him in the walls of Jericho on the floor. And on the 12-8 Raw, Jericho defeated Jeff Hardy in a match, and after being awarded Superstar of the Year, he cut a promo saying he was glad the fans didn't have a say in picking the winner because they were sheep, though Cena would chase him into the crowd. And in the main event, Cena defeated Edge by DQ, and Jericho got involved, and the two brawled into the crowd. Fun little build. Yeah, uh, but these two were really great, so you knew that was going to happen. All right, we get our rematch. So we talked about Cena still reigning as champ. Jericho trying to close out this career year of his by getting the gold back. Jericho saunches out stoic, hell-bent on regaining the title. Usual mixed reaction for Cena as he charges out. A little bit more positive tilt than usual. After a tense stare down, we get into a lockup and stalemate. Jericho takes over with strikes, attacking the neck, but Cena comes rumbling back. Jericho keeps finding openings to kick Cena in the head and jar his neck as the crowd is loud and split. Cena gets spurts of offense, but never sustained due to the neck attack. Jericho grabs a sleeper. Cena smashes back to the map, but Jericho hangs on. Jericho tries a springboard body block to the apron, but Cena catches him on his shoulders. Can't make it count as Jericho bulldogs Cena off the apron to the stairs. Back inside, Jericho keeps attacking the neck. Jericho misses a charge and slams into the post. Cena heats up. His offense and nails the five-knuckle shuffle, loads the FU, but Jericho slips free into the walls. Cena breaks that up. Cena gets a near fall on a belly-to-belly, but Jericho comes back and gets two on a missile dropkick. Jericho keeps the heat on, rattling Cena with punches. Cena's able to shove Jericho off the top rope and fire back up. Jericho survives the FU as both are now pretty exhausted. Jericho plays dead and grabs a near fall on the inside cradle, but Cena counters the Nenziguri into an STFU. Jericho wriggles free and ends up in the walls. But Cena pushes out of it and finishes him off to retain his title with the STFU. Uh, this is a pretty hard-fought battle. It started a little sluggish, uh, but really got cooking about halfway through. Good back-and-forth action as well once it picked up. A bit slower paced. Felt more like a slugfest uh, than a smooth match. Jericho working the neck was the best part, and Cena wins it clean, which puts Jericho probably out of the title picture for a bit here. So I went three and a quarter, Scott. I mean, it felt, I guess, pretty on par with Survivor Series. Um, these two have good chemistry. It's not great chemistry. The matches feel just a little pedantic. Yeah, I had it as like the exact same grade. So, um, I think they just have a template match that works, but doesn't eclipse maybe what you would expect them to. And, and uh, I think their 05 stuff was, was a, a touch better for sure. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Three and a half for me. I liked it a little better than you. Uh, your match time, um, I believe. Let's see. Well, I'll check that in a minute. Uh, I, uh, one thing I have to say about Cena, I felt Cena, and I'll feel this way about him in 09, and then he starts kind of losing it for me when we get to 2010. Cena's very aggressive, and mm-hmm. uh, I- I'm enjoying 
this kind of aggressive side to him. Um, he really takes it to the next level and really goes at Jericho. You know, Jericho's the kind of guy that can't have like a dancing mat, you know, kind of a tiptoe through the tulips kind of match. Uh, Cena sometimes does that, but he didn't do it here. He definitely didn't do it at Survivor Series, and I feel he didn't do it here either. Um, having said that, uh, Shaw, um, Jericho has been, you know, spent most of 2008 wrestling Sean, and Sean is not Cena. Uh, well, Cena's not Sean. Let me say it that way. Um, two very different, um, you know, two very different kinds of wrestlers. And I think Jericho just was still kind of in that Sean mode. I think the the Boston crowd at Survivor Series added a little juice. Uh, no disrespect, Steve, but the Buffalo crowd didn't have that same juice. And I feel like that little bit is what took the match off than it did than the one they had at Survivor Series. Um, pedantic. That's a good word. You use that word a lot. Um, it, it just kind of is a match that's kind of there. It was good. I like Cena's aggressiveness, but it definitely didn't hit that next gear. And I think Jericho is going to kind of go back into the, you know, maybe upper main, upper mid card, lower main mm -hmm. event now. And Cena moves on to something else, but not an awful match. But I think Jericho, having wrestled Sean most of the year, you just don't see that here that you did with those matches. All right, JR and Taz give our poll results of who attacked Jeff Hardy. Uh, Edge wins with 65%, Other with 23%, Triple H with 7%, and Kozlov with 5 We then get a video package to hype our main event for the Dota title, and that is Triple H versus Edge versus Jeff Hardy, Scott. And how did we get here? All right. Uh, the Cena-Jericho match was 12:43, So there's your time there. All right, on the 11:28 SmackDown, Vicky Guerrero brought out Edge, who said that even though he wasn't 100%, he had to take action after reading about what happened to Jeff, and he said that Jeff was known for letting everyone down, though he wouldn't let Vicky down. Vicky said that he, the stairwell incident was still under investigation, and Jeff wasn't clear to wrestle yet, and Jeff and Triple H would both come out only for security to hold them back, as Vicky announced. A beat-the-clock challenge to determine the number one contender. Jeff would defeat the Brian Kendrick in 12-13. Matt and Kozlov went to a draw as they failed to beat the time. And then Triple H would defeat Shelton Benjamin at the same time of 12-13. And Jeff would come out and have a stare-down with Triple H. On the 12-5 SmackDown, uh, Vicky announced that Jeff and Triple H would face Edge at the pay-per-view in a triple threat match. And Edge would defeat Funaki in a squash. Vicky announced that Jeff and Triple H would compete in a tag gauntlet match. Later that night, Edge and Vicky told Jeff that Triple H was the one who attacked him in the stairwell, and Jeff attacked Triple H as he came in the office. And later that night, Triple H and Jeff defeated Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder, only to lose to John Morrison and The Miz as they started brawling into the crowd. On the 12-8 Raw, Edge lost to John Cena by DQ after Chris Jericho got involved, and he would brawl with Cena into the crowd, and then Triple H and Jeff came out and had a stare down with Edge. And on the 12-12 SmackDown, the show opened with Triple H and Jeff brawling in the aisle as Vicky and Chavo Guerrero brought out officials to break it up, and Vicky would end up getting knocked down in the brawl as it continued to the back. In the main event, Triple H and Jeff wrestled to a no contest when Edge came out and laid both men out with spears. I like the psychology. Hmm. Um, the fact that Jeff Hardy believed Vicky that Triple H did it was kind of fucking stupid, but uh, that's okay. But I did enjoy the build, though. This was a lot of fun. 
All right, the battle continues. The key players have dominated the scene, really, all fall. Uh, Hunter and Hardy have been tied together for a year, really. It feels like this... we got to pull the trigger, right? Or we're bailing out on this push on Hardy. It can't keep coming up short. He gets his top rival and his top peer, and Hardy is at a breaking point. A lot of pressure. Hunter stomps out first, but a great 15 months for him since his return from injury. Been a nice feature on SmackDown away from Raw. Uh, good reaction. Big pop for Hardy as he dances out. Another big night for him. Edges out last, his beloved title around his waist, back in control as kingpin of SmackDown. Quick start with all three working in and out of a quick pin attempt from Hardy on Edge. Hardy hits the air first with a plancha into Edge with an assist from Hunter, pushing him into the path. Hunter wipes out Hardy on the floor. We get a quick battle with him and Edge, each getting some offense in with a couple of pin attempts. Hardy comes back, but Hunter cuts him off on the way in and turns a pedigree uh, on Edge, but Hardy nails him with the whisper of the wind. Hardy and Hunter hit a stacked whisper, but Hunter breaks up the pin. Hunter loads a pedigree on Hardy, but he counters with a slingshot. A lot of trading of offense here from all three. No lulls. Hardy gets a uh, dodges a spear, and Edge takes out Hunter instead. Edge gets knocked outside. Hardy hits a twist of fate on Hunter. Heads up top and nails a swan tom, but Edge makes a save for a really good blue ball moment. All three battle on the floor, each picking spots and throwing each other around, cutting off any big blows. Hardy, uh... Hunter breaks out of a pedigree. Hardy, I'm sorry. Hunter breaks out of a pedigree on an announce table, and Edge pounces and spears Hardy off another one and through a third table. Back inside, Hunter hits a pedigree on Edge, but Vladimir Kozlov shows up. He breaks up the pin. He beats up Hunter on the floor until Matt Hardy makes a save to a pop. Jeff goes up top, but Kozlov pops up again and shoves him to the floor. Matt attacks Kozlov, and they fight to the back. Edge gets a close near fall on a spear on Hunter. Edge sets up a concerto on Hunter, but Hardy saves and pace Edge with the chair. Hardy goes up top, but Hunter pops up and crotches him. Hunter pedigrees Edge and covers, but Hardy hits a swanton onto his back and covers Edge to finally win the WWE World title. He gets a long solo celebration. The commentary lays out to soak in the moment. Jeff eventually goes and posts on top of the entranceway as well as we close out. Uh, this is a great match. Had a really fun flow and good pacing, kept chugging along, mixing in some good spots and chaos along the way. Some really good teases with Hardy getting close a couple of times. Seemed like maybe he wouldn't seal it. The final stretch was hot and a great pop as Hardy finally does it and wins the big one. Good payoff to his long climb and a strong main event. He doesn't pin Hunter, uh, but he does pin the champion. So it, it's kind of this weird toss-up, right? Like I feel... Um, like there's a lot of complaints, like, oh, of course, Hunter doesn't lay down, whatever. But Hardy did beat Hunter last year. Um, and here he beats the champion. Like, that's what you want, right, to pin, have him pin the champion. And Edge is his rival as much as Triple H, honestly, at this point. So I, I thought this was fine, um, the way they went about it. And it's a great call by Ross and Taz as well. So I thought it was the right move. They had to pull the trigger. Hardy has kind of proven himself after the suspension that he's reliable. He is a star. And if you didn't do it here, uh, it would have been too little too late. Like, I don't think you could have even done something where he, like, wins the Rumble and goes to Mania. Like, you had to do it. Like, we've been down the road way too much here. Um, so we closed the year out with him as champion. I went four-star, Scott. This was a great match and a really great moment. Uh, 17-19, longest match uh, of the night. Um, uh, four stars. It was a amazing triple threat. I had zero problems, obviously, Jeff Hardy winning. Of course, people complained about, you know, oh, wrong guy got pinned. Who cares? I mean, really? Oh, I mean, you know if what? it wasn't Edge and Edge wasn't the champion, I could get it, right? right? But the fact that Edge is the champion, he pins the champion, and Edge has been tormenting him just as much. There's the feeling that he's the one that attacked him. So there's like a right. lot of payoff within that, too. And he's beat, right. like we said, he beat Hunter last year. So he does have a win over Hunter. It's not like it hasn't happened. Right. And the other thing is, this isn't, 
This isn't 2002 Triple H who probably could still turn heel. I feel like this Triple H probably is probably in the long haul as a babyface. So I don't think that was going to happen. I think he'd, it would have been a mess. Um, uh, and, you know, it just made more sense. I mean, you know, and I thought the match was great. Uh, the crowd was so into it. And obviously Jeff winning is the moment that they've all been waiting for. Um, a lot of people thought that they should, he should have done it. The other thing that I got, compl- that I saw complaints about was that, Oh, he's, he got it on some throwaway secondary show. Why didn't he win it at survivors? Well, not everybody could win every great match on right. a big four show. Get the fuck over it. He won the match. He won the title. You're still whining. You got what you wanted. He's champion. It was a great match. He got his moment. It was pretty awesome. Actually. And I'm not the biggest Jeff Hardy fan, but it was, uh, that was great to see. And it was a great match. And, and, uh, you know, obviously Triple H had some pulls at this point and he kept him in, he kept him in the game. And not once did I ever feel like during this whole saga that Triple H was condescending to, um, to, to Jeff Hardy at all. And I think that's, I think that's pretty, I think that's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, on a side note, JR, you'll find this funny. Uh, one of our listeners uh, commented on the Podbean page, place to be podbean.com, wondering where the uh, where the montage is. <laughs> and, I, I, and I said, uh, I said, well, we've decided that we're going to save the montage for the uh, for special occasions uh, because Jr. has got to add more songs. And it's you know, it's it's nice, but we want to make it special. So and the fact that Triple H wrestles every month, that's a that's a long montage now. It yeah, was it's like six minutes. <laughs> yeah, it was different four years ago or five years ago when it was only like four songs. <laughs> and now it's like, you know, 10 or 12. So we'll, uh, but thank you for the, for the comment. Like Frosty to so, man. It'll be, it'll be back again someday. It'll be back again someday. Thanks, yeah. Miles. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Miles. Uh, <laughs> um, so, but I, I love the match and Jeff Hardy won. Can we just leave it at that? Now we got to start qualifying the win. Just, he won the fucking match. Yeah. What are we whining about? Enough with the qualifying. He won. Pin the champion. And that's it. So, I, I mean, I don't get it. So, whatever. But the match is great. It got the most, uh, it got, and, and, the, and the, this is when the Buffalo crowd really jumped up and, and hit it. So, great match. Loved it. Uh, nice win for Jeff Hardy. He is the face of, uh, well, I guess the face of, of uh, SmackDown. And, uh, you know, he looks amazing. So big win, great way to end the show. Uh, you know, Jericho had it seven years earlier, a big win at Armageddon. Hey, Jer- Chris Jericho's biggest win was at a December pay-per-view and nobody pissed and moaned then. And he, he beat the two biggest guys in the history of the company. So, you know, can we just accept, can we just be happy having nice things? I mean, seriously, so annoying, but big win for Jeff, fun triple threat. Good way to end the show. All right, let's get to our awards to wrap things up. Uh, MVP of the night to me was uh, pretty pretty easy, and that's Jeff Hardy. Yes, no, he deserves it totally. All right, uh, LVP, I went with uh, Runjan Singh. I, I thought he was terrible in that segment. He talked way too friggin' much. Um, you know, Kali is obviously in there too, but I, I thought Singh was just terrible. Yeah, I'll give you that because, you know, there wasn't really a, a bad match on this show. So no, no, really giving all. it to any of the wrestlers is, is probably not fair. So I, I agree that that whole segment was crap. It, it ruined the it made the women look stupid. Terrible. All right. Best match uh, main event, I believe, for both of us here. Yes, absolutely. Four stars. Yep. All right. Uh, I hate to do it. I feel bad. I want the Divas match for the worst match. I mean, this was but it was and it still got two stars. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't crap. 
it just was the lowest of the of the night. Simple as that. Uh, all right, best moment. I went with again um, Hardy winning the title. Oh, it had to be. What a moment! Long career, so many great moments. You know, things. You know, leapfrogging terrible moments in his career and all the shit in 03 and everything. And definitely, no doubt. All right. Surprise tonight. I want Sean taking the offer from JBL. I mean, I think at this point, maybe you're still not sure if he's going to, and the crowd seemed pretty shocked that he's going to do this. And we're going to have a long storyline. Like it could have easily been Sean just rejecting him and super kicking him. Right. So, right. Um, that's what I want with for the the surprise. It wasn't anything else really surprising on the show. No, I agree. I agree. Works for me. All right. And uh, final grade, you know, it's been a very good year. So our series was a little dip, uh, our worst graded show of the year overall. But I think we bounced back nicely here and we finish what's honestly, I would say one of the best rated overall pay-per-views in company history. Uh, I went seven out of 10. We finished strong, I thought. Yeah, I'm looking at my grades. I mean, from Rumble Down, I have eight, eight, seven, six, six and a half, seven, seven and a half, seven. Seven and a half, seven and a half, eight and a half, six and a half, and five. So yeah, last couple of months have been a little shaky, but this was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I agree with you. I'm going to do seven and a half as well. Had the women's match been a little better, and we didn't get that crap at the end. I might have given it eight, maybe. If if maybe Cena and Jericho had kicked another gear, uh, I think I would have given it eight. But I think seven and a half is solid. It's been a really fun year for the pay per views, Jr. I for I hope that we've we've kind of enticed all of you listening to kind of watch some 2008 stuff. It's, I think it's very unheralded and kind of forgotten. I'm not going to lie. I think yeah. the, I think the Benoit specter still kind of hung over it calendar wise, but uh, I really would, I really would recommend, I don't know about the TV. The TV was okay, but I definitely at least recommend watching the pay-per-views because it was a great year. Really, yeah. They're really good. I didn't know if it was one of the ones that was always like talked about, but um, maybe like overrated, but no, it, it held up. Like every show was good. They were still in the very tight format too. Like none of these are over three hours except for mania. Um, yeah. like they all churn along, they move, they're tight. They still had a lot of big stars. Like, I think, I think there's this weird fallacy that the star power dips after the attitude era, but mm-hmm. they're still pretty loaded with big name talent. Um, I think that's coming. <laughs> right. I think we're about a year away from it really falling off the cliff. But for right now, right. Um, they still have a lot of big time stars up and down these cards. And when you get the pay-per-views, you get the best of each brand. You're right. getting all the top guys battling on these shows. Yep. So you're getting a lot of good yep. matches. Um, I agree. So yeah, it was it was a real strong year. We didn't really have any bad shows. Like I said, Survivor Series is the worst, and that was a five. So, I mean, it was, it was still like a fine show. Um, Honestly, and for us, for the show, I think the worst thing we watched was uh, <laughs> poor oh, Saturday Night's event. That fucking yeah, Saturday Night's Main event. <laughs> but the one. lowest rated pay-per-view since... Unforgiven 07 was that Survivor Series at a five. Other yep. than that, everything for me at least was six and a half uh, or six or higher. And Backlash was the only six. Everything else was at least six and a half. So, I mean, it's, yeah. it's a great run of shows. So definitely worth checking out. Uh, as well as everything else we have to offer here on our family of networks. Place Nation Wrestling Feed, Place Nation Pop Experience, and the North-South Connection, which features the Jetty Position. Uh, be sure to check out all of our social media at the North-South Connection. We have a lot of cool things popping here uh, as 2023 dawns, uh, so you can check out some new types of content we have in new locations to find that content. Check it out across our social media. Uh, I want to thank you for all of your support in 2022 across the board. Look forward to another strong year. She'll bring in our 13th uh, birthday, like you said, Scott. Um, so that's a lot of fun as well. So 
We'll be back in two weeks. We're going to kick off another calendar year, 2009, with the Royal Rumble. And until then, everyone take care. And we'll talk to you.